And so if you can lead with the values and start to shape what they are and then almost like track out from there, well, if, if our values are about dignity and excellence and if they are about kind of um, collaboration, what does that mean from a brand perspective, either visually or in our messaging, and then start to build out from that center? that feels like that's got to be the place to start otherwise you're kind of working in the wrong direction if you're getting everything looking fantastic but it doesn't align with who you really are at the middle then yeah. um it's going to fall flat yeah hi welcome to the upshot podcast my name is owen jones i'm creative director of a design studio called upshot we've been having conversations with a variety of different individuals within the charity sector all about branding communications marketing and design we thought there was so much in those conversations, it'd be great to start sharing those with you. So I hope you enjoy this chat. Hello, and we are here with Steve Coffey from Compassion UK. Uh, I'm Owen, Creative Director of Upshot, and I've been chatting to a couple of people in the charity sector about branding and uh, marketing and design uh, and getting their thoughts on it. So uh, Steve, would you like to introduce yourself yeah sure uh hello first and foremost um does feel a bit strange because we've obviously known each other for a little while so uh, introducing myself to you is odd but um i'll imagine that i'm talking to all the people watching or listening but uh yeah my name is steve coffee and uh in terms of introducing myself as it relates to what we're talking about um i suppose uh i, I could say yeah i've been in i've been in the charity sector for about 10 or 11 years but i've been in um, marketing, comms, brand, and various different sort of guises for the best part of probably 20 years, I think. Um, arts marketing initially uh, in Plymouth, where I know you're based, and, um, and then uh, into a comms agency. Um, so I worked on the agency side. And then, uh, yeah, about 11 years ago, um, switched over into the third sector, um, was working, like uh, heading up a comms team there responsible for creative delivery and then i've been at compassion for about a year now um, just over a year so uh yeah kind of a bit of a split between um you know the arts and uh, agency side working with corporates and you know um in automotive and charity and all sorts and then yeah on the on the sort of client side in the third sector for about 11 years cool and now you're head of communication and creative delivery at compassion uk um I think it's worth pointing out from the start, and I'm going to try and remember to do this every time, that this is an interview with Steve Coffey. This isn't an interview with the official uh, perspective of Compassion UK. So anything yeah. that Steve says that Compassion, if, if you guys see this, that you go, hang yeah. on, that's not our, our position. Please do <laughs> note that, that this is Steve's own, own uh, yeah. opinions uh, rather than anything else. But tell us about Compassion. Yeah. So um, Compassion's been going for decades, was founded uh, by an American um, and uh, is uh, the sort of mission of Compassion is to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. So it is um, a Christian charity, um, very overtly a Christian charity, and, um, uh, but really focused on, on releasing children from poverty. And, um, and that can be in a number of ways. It's, it's through what we call holistic child development. And so it's um, uh, tackling kind of child poverty from a number of different angles, um, uh, often sort of around food, nutrition and healthcare, um, uh, through education and so on. And so actually it's about um, ensuring that the whole child uh, is, is kind of catered for and looked after and, 
uh, enables them to, um, uh, yeah, they're released from poverty. And then the knock-on effect of that is what they go on to do in their community immediately. The family are kind of um, obviously benefit from that, but then it's the ripple effect beyond into the community and into the future. And actually some of the most amazing stuff, I've met people who are graduates of our programs and it's, the stories they have are just incredible. You know, they're people that are now, you know, themselves either country directors of ours, you know, so they've gone on to become people that are impacting their communities and releasing other children from poverty or they're kind of engineers or they're, um, you know, community workers or teachers or, you know, people that are running charities. And so it's this amazing ripple effect, you know, you kind of change the life of one child or help to change the life of one child and sort of help them fulfill their potential. And this knock on effect is, is incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, is that something, I suppose, that that making a difference that you talk about for those that one person that moves on to make a difference for some other people is that something that particularly resonates with you personally that makes you want to work in that in the sector but also particularly for for compassion well it's all about the money um <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's really not all about the money um yeah it is i mean it's there's, there's always a danger and I, you know feel free to fire the klaxon if it goes, but um, the, there's always a danger of like coming across as like a pretentious do-gooder when you're sort of talking about working in charity and so on. Because yeah. you know, there's, there's always the underlying implication that, oh, I work for charity, you know, I'm, I'm, I therefore make a difference or yeah. the charity I work for makes a difference. And you know, obviously that is true, that otherwise you know, most people that work for charity wouldn't do it, but, but it, there's, you know, you need to tackle the underlying assumption that it's just the charities that do that thing and make the difference. And of course, we know that's not true. There are, you know, enterprises and corporations and of lots of other organisations that make make a difference. But for me personally, in this particular role, yeah, that's that's a huge motivating factor because it feels like you know you've got you've got a finite number of hours in your day, or you know, uh, you, you need to work to live. Um, but if you can do that in a way that actually um, makes difference somewhere you know it kind of uh, improves the community or improves the lives of a handful of individuals or it just sort of I don't know if you want to get kind of a bit uh, <laughs> a bit touchy-feely for a bit you know if you can kind of shift the dial globally a little bit if you can just make the world a little mm. bit of a better place in some way mm. and I think I mean, that's what that's part of what our approach is that obviously we want to we want to have as big an impact as possible but often people looking at a problem like poverty or global extreme poverty which is actually getting worse at the moment because of covid people just feel a bit like helpless in the face of of that and that's just one of a number of you know things like malaria you know um cancer research and, and loads of other sort of issues that are really good to get behind and people i think can feel a bit kind of paralyzed in the face of all the things that need to to be done and so actually it's almost like well just um just focusing on on one thing perhaps or one person as we would do through the, the child sponsorship sort of program so that you can just make a bit of a difference you haven't got to sort of tackle the whole thing it's almost just like mm. what well, just, just, just so what's what <laughs> what does a communications and creative delivery uh, head do what's what's that kind of look like on a, a day by day basis in a charity yeah, like compassion it's quite it's quite busy and quite varied um i i love it um the, I lead a team, or I lead a few um, teams, um, looking after sort of um, uh, PR, um, looking after content marketing, you know, that includes social media and so on, and looking after you know um, campaigns and you know, project managing kind of campaigns, uh, whether that's 
direct mail or email or whatever to our um, our supporters. Um, and so part of the role, big part of the role is to sort of um, oversee or work with the leaders of those teams and help sort of shape that and put it, you know, um, connect the dots often and kind of um, set them going in the right direction, sort of set the over overarching vision or strategy, mm. as well as, you know, rolling your sleeves up and getting on with some stuff. So yesterday was we're doing some filming and, and doing that, you know, quite hands on with that. Um, as well as like looking over, you know, um, we've got a Christmas appeal going through at the moment. And so looking through the kind of proofs of that, having thought through the kind of the brief for it, the vision for it. Um, we've got a campaign coming up, you know, a small campaign coming up in the next couple of weeks around um, Great Big Green Week and climate change and, and how that impacts, um, uh, you know, the children that we serve. So it's, it's really varied and that's partly why I love it. I mean, the challenge of it sometimes is that you can feel like you're spinning plates mm. and, uh, you know, just moving lots of different things forward a millimeter at a time, hopefully forward rather than backwards. Uh, and, and that's brilliant because you get the variety involved in a lot. But one of the things I find when, when, when things are busy, you know, my default is almost to go to what I know and what I love. And I love kind of video production and, and that sort of side of it. Um, and so I can find myself kind of getting too caught up in things like that which I love and would happily do, you know, hours at a time. Um, so I have to sort of step back and think, actually, no, I need to kind of give equal weighting to all the sort of different things that are, that are taking place. Um, sure. Part of it as well as relates to this conversation is about um, sort of brand guardianship and development as well. And that's, that's, um, that's an interesting area of compassion because of the fact that we're at such a you know, big global organization. Um, it's a new challenge for me having the sort of that scale to deal with and uh, not necessarily having as much input and control as, as perhaps I've had in other places too. So that, you know, that's, that's we're talking about that. It's, that's a huge challenge for an organization and their brand when you are uh, part of a bigger network that, and you're not the head office as well. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand the USA compassion offices is, is the, big dog and you guys are part of that you yeah know, that's where you work from so you've got a certain amount of control brand wise but you've got to also fit to what they're doing culturally it's going to be different visually different cues will work so yeah how, how do you address that challenge with with compassion and their brand yeah well I mean first and foremost I would say that there's there's always a temptation to think the grass is greener so I where I came from before it wasn't a small charity by any stretch but probably by you know UK standards would be a medium-sized charity but we, you know, we, um, where I was, we were kind of like the head office, really. And so there was much more of the sort of central control for one of a, you know, less sort of cynical term. Um, but you could be tempted to look from that sort of organisation to an organisation like Compassion or someone else and think, well, they've got resources or the Macmillans of this world or Cancer Research. Mm. I think they've got the financial resources behind to have a fantastic brand, to have that consistency, to, you know, put all the money behind it. Um, and then you shift to somewhere that's big and that you know has perhaps the resources or more of the resources. I'm not saying we, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not saying we're kind of awash with money and we've got too much to spend or anything. But but it's a bigger organisation. But actually, the 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 challenge there is it's like a tanker, right? You're trying to turn a turn a tank around potentially, or you know, steer steer a tanker through. You've got less. You can be less nimble, perhaps. But the thing I would say, I really, um, and this is this is this is quite a big thing for me in terms of thinking through what you know what brand is and so on is that what compassion does brilliantly 
is even though it's a global organization that has sort of what we call GPAs, which are kind of like the, you know, if you like the fundraising offices around the world in Australia and Canada and the UK and the US. And then we've got 25 country programs like Kenya and Mexico and so on, where the, where the, you know, the sort of frontline work takes place. The values of the organization are so well kind of communicated and shared that it, it feels like one organization. And I really, I, um, that's not a given in other organizations that have that sort of global spread. Um, and so the values and cultural attributes of compassion are crystal clear, but they're not just crystal clear because they're writ large on a wall. You know, there's a really nice poster with the values written on it, which as we know, it's, it's a bit useless if you've just got it sort of slapped on the wall. If it's not authentic and lived out, then it's a bit pointless. But but all those sort of values and cultural attributes are there right at the heart of recruitment. They're at the heart of like performance management and, you know, the performance development reviews. They're part of like the rewards and recognition. Um, they're part of the everyday conversations right from the exec team throughout like all the other teams. It's, it's absolutely lived out. And that for me is, is a huge part of how compassion, you know, let alone visual brand and all the sort of like the outworkings of it, how that kind of, comes to life and is therefore through everything that compassion does and that's what we hear from supporters as well you know supporters and the feedback we get whether that's on social media or whether it's in like face-to-face -face groups and you know we rely a lot on volunteers we've got this great army of sort of volunteer speakers for instance and we hear it back from them that actually they represent compassion authentically and in the same way too it doesn't mean everyone's robots and they're all like compassion branded and that's it they're their own people, but actually they have similar values to the organization and they, they know what compassion stands for and how we kind of want to be. And that I think is the core underpinning part of any kind of brand conversation is around, you know, who it is, as a, who you are as an organization and how authentically you live that out. Yeah, that brand guardianship is amazing because um, those values have to come through every touch point that any person could potentially come across compassion right so they go to something where there's a speaker representing compassion and you how do you how do you you say that's been there all along is that something that's just natural when you talk to volunteers or speakers do they have to do any research or is it just something that's naturally part of the conversation those those values it's probably a bit of a blend of the two because it ha I mean, it, in the sense of the, the natural bit of it has to be there um, to some degree. It has to be part of the way you talk, even the way you sort of set up to talk to volunteers about values. You know, if you're not doing it in such a way um, and the way you communicate with them, then it's if you're not doing it that's authentically mm -hmm. you know, linked to the values and the cultural attributes, it's yeah. it sort of it, it doesn't ring true. Um, so there has to be that sort of natural side of it. And, but, but actually, if you've done all the kind of, if you're really mindful about how you recruit people and, you know, actually whether or not someone is able to work, you know, and hold those values and, and um, have those same sort of attributes in terms of how they work with one another. If you recruit on that basis and you make sure that you manage people on that basis, then mm -hmm. actually people are more naturally likely to, to live that out themselves anyway. So it's a little bit of the two. But I think you have to be really mindful. And actually, you know, we, we're very lucky to have in the UK an amazing exec team. And, um, and it comes right down from the top um, in, in those sorts of things. And I know that not every 
company or organization um, ha has that sort of same thing. And so I, I appreciate that we're quite lucky in that sense. But but actually, that's probably an important part of it that, like you say, it's every touch point. If it's not, um, I, 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 I'm terrible at remembering who to attribute quotes to, but it's there's that quote, isn't there? Everything you do either builds the brand or erodes the brand. And that includes, you know, how someone answers the phone or yeah. how you might respond to emails as much as it is what your, you know, what your um, digi ads look like or what your kind of press releases, you know, how they're, it, they're, they're all as important as each other. And mm -hmm. so you can have these beautifully heartfelt ads. And actually, if, if someone then calls into the office and they get a terrible experience or they speak to someone who's just really dismissive and whatever, you know, it's a real clash of a real clash of their of the values, really. And the brand sort of sits at executive level, does it? Or does it kind of filter down? Yeah, there's some... Um, there's challenges there, right? There are challenges. Yeah, sorry, cool. Well, just particularly with, with the different offices and different levels of even executive is, is going to be, uh, is going to cause a challenge with, with that. Is that something that you sh you've seen struggles with either here or in other jobs? Yeah, I, I think, um, and, and in, you know, with um, sort of, connections and friends and whatever yeah. in, in other parts of either the third sector or, or even in um, just in other organizations and companies is that there's it's a, it's a strange one because um i mean i personally think obviously brand is incredibly important but it's not one person's role in the same way that you know i've got mm. creative in my role but that doesn't mean that oh everything that's creative comes through me or that i'm the arbiter of everything creative um that i mean it's it'd be ridiculous uh, and in that same way, you know, it really depends on how the senior leadership see brand. Mm. If people see it as a logo or like that you're a police officer that is kind of, you know, making sure that the logo doesn't get stretched or that the, you know, the color palette isn't messed with, then you're going to have it at sort of middle level, right? And you're going to have a, someone yeah. who's a bit of a bulldog who can kind of, you know, do the carrot stick stuff with people. Um, and that's going to have limited return. Whereas actually, if it's seen as something that fits across everything, that it, you know, it, it plays a part in communications and it plays a part in design, but that it also plays a part in your HR policies and, you know, IT and everything like that, that actually, therefore, it's not that it needs to be a senior position for the sake of it, or I'm not trying to craft a job for myself in like the, you know, exec level, but it has to have that seniority about it yeah. just because it fits across so many departments yeah. or it should fit across so many departments um and, and at compassion you know we like i say we've i think we we're lucky to have a chief executive and an exec team that that kind of get that um and that place so much importance on the values and then how that plays out in 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 brand and so that that is probably held at a, at a fairly senior level um which i think is is good i mean if nothing's perfect there's always sort of like challenges with it of course but um but I do think that's quite an important thing that, mm. that it, it doesn't just sit with a designer or um, doesn't just sit with like a head of comms. You know, it's, um, it's got to be sure. across the field. Um, do you think that um, there are particular challenges for a charity as opposed to a corporate organization, business or something like that when it comes to brand? Because brand has typically been a uh, <sighs> something that is used to drive value to build profit sometimes in the past that's that's quite a big corporate priority when it comes to brand and in the third sector it's a different environment it's a different place to to be thinking about that is that is there a particular challenge for charities or a different way of approaching brand do you think 
maybe it's not exclusive to charities, but I do think it's keenly felt in charities because of course you're using supporters' money. Um, sure. And there's there's the there's always the age old challenges. You know, some some people would be surprised that charity people that work in charities are paid, or you know yeah. that um, and there's there's always a there's always a, a live debate about you know chief executive salaries and so on. Um, and I'm saying all that because there's there's often a very good and justified scrutiny over spending of charities. Um, you know, you don't want to see a charity that's putting 10% into like the programs they're doing and the rest of it's into kind of like publicity and acquiring the next sponsor, but you've got to, you've got to have that balance. And so actually investing and it is investing money into things like brand, into good design, into communications, into advertising and so on. It's not simply to look good. It's not simply to make everything look pretty actually what you're doing is you're finding the next supporter or you're kind mm -hmm. of raising your brand uh, profile with a purpose because you need to meet more of the right people. Um, mm -hmm. I think where it's wasteful is where it's not sort of well thought through. You know, it's not, it's basically just a scattergun approach of trying to, you know, we want to do something because it's, it, it's fun or it looks good or, you know, it gets in front of lots of different people. And that isn't always the right thing to do. You know, the yeah. previous, a previous charity I worked at actually we were very focused on, we were, we, were, we were quite explicit about saying we, we don't want to be, I think the way we put it was we don't want to be a household name, we just want to be known in the right households. And we yeah. were trying to be very targeted um, at, <laughs> this sounds quite cynical, but at ultra high net worth individuals. And that's not just because, oh, they got loads of money. It was more because actually they are, um, because often they were kind of giving an awful lot of money. This is a very general statement and i know it's not true for everything but because they're giving quite large amounts of money whether they're philanthropists or you know a trust or something they are scrutinizing where that goes yeah. and therefore and we wanted that we wanted people who would engage with the issue because we wanted long-term partnership with them we didn't just want a million people giving three pounds a month although i suppose we, you know that in itself throws up challenges you've then got to equip a supporter experience team that will kind of deal with the inquiries that come from that and actually, we felt that probably wasn't a smart way to go. And so actually being very targeted about it and then investing um, a, a sensible proportion of the income into things like brand and design and the, camp, you know, the comms campaigns mm -hmm. you might be running is more about engaging more of the people that you need on board to achieve your mission. Uh, and I think as long as it's, that's always the goal uh, and not just because actually you want to be you know, having articles written about you in campaign or whatever then um although that would be great uh, mm -hmm. then that's i think that's that's a good you know good way to steer do you ever find that you have to tone back your ideas because of the fact that you're a charity you've got great big ideas and you don't think you could get the buy-in for a particularly bold or ambitious plan or that you're worried that someone might see it as gratuitous or, or wasteful spending is that something that's that's a real problem that you have to address or is that just perception no i think that's fair i think that is fair um i don't think it's unique to charities but i just sure. uh i don't think um but yeah you've got yeah you know, i mean if we do a direct mail campaign to supporters to ask them to support christmas you know our christmas appeal which might be about giving an extra gift at christmas or writing to a, you know a sponsored child at christmas in particular we, you know, if it landed on the doormat and mini pyrotechnics sort of exploded <laughs> as they opened the envelope, it would get their attention. But then they'd be hot on the phone saying, you know, how much money have you spent on doing this? You just needed to write and ask and ask me. Yeah. 
to do that and I would have done it. So yeah. it's about it's about being appropriate with it. I mean, there might be times where that pyrotechnics on the doormat might be appropriate. I can't think what they would be, but um, so it's, it's yeah, you, you definitely need to, to rein that in, but that's okay. I think that's why you work and that's why you need good people on the team because you, you know, in those expansive sessions and moments, you can kind of put everything out there and say, oh, you know, what about this, what about this, what about this? By the way, that isn't an idea. I've never floated that. that I don't know why that came up and I would hate you to think that I was thinking that was a good idea. <laughs> that's, that's next week's pitch, is it? Yeah, yeah. If you see that on your doormat next week, then you'll know why. Um, but there are times where it's absolutely appropriate to sort of spend a little bit more or to, um, you know, to sort of perhaps go against, not go against, but... Um, but yeah, just do something unusual or unexpected. Actually, sometimes that's entirely appropriate. But it is, yeah, you've got to sort of think very carefully about it because of, you know, the ratio of, I don't want to kind of spend too much on this in terms of what you get back. Mm. But, um, but I think I've said this to you before. My, um, my boss said something very wise to me about a year ago, saying, you know, you should never sort of look to spend, you know, spend less on promoting something that you spent on producing it. Um, because... I mean, I don't think it necessarily, you know, works in terms of, oh, suddenly we spent X amount on this, we've got to spend exactly the same. But his mm -hmm. point is, the principle behind it is, why put something on if it's an event or if it's a particular kind of, um, you know, uh, television program, like what we're, we're working at at the minute, why spend the money on doing that and then not invest time and money telling people about it because it's, or, you know, really promoting it because it's, uh, that's part of it. You need to sort of see that as a, as a part of it. Otherwise, it's just sort of, um, you know, it almost makes the event itself a waste of money because you've not sort of given it the, the, the missed opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's... Uh, do you kind of then sort of staying on the theme, I suppose, of, of the temptation to bring big ideas in, are there big ideas or charity heroes, brand heroes that you look to sometimes and think, oh, I wish we'd done that? Or could we possibly do something like this? There's all sorts of charities have got their own little... Um, or big ideas and things that they do and they rely on that, that bring in regular income. Is there a bit of a, do you look elsewhere? Do you look outside of the organisation at yeah. the sector? Who are yeah, you, yeah. brand heroes you look up to then? Um, there are loads. Uh, yeah, definitely look elsewhere. I mean, that's part of what we we try and do it. You know, we make it as part of a rhythm of our week in, in my team. We've got um, a creative jam session, which is only a brief thing, which is kind of like you bring I mean, this is on a low level, right? But we, we kind of bring ideas, um, things we've seen, and it might be, we've got various categories, but it's not restricted, but it might be like video, or it might be, you know, out of home campaign. It might be ads you've seen. It could be, it could be like a, you know, a thank you email or, or kind of a whatever on a website, anything, any kind of piece of communi communication that's broad as possible definition that you think is, interesting inspiring or you know perhaps got a direct application for compassion and we share that with one of you got a maximum of a minute because we've got about 15 of us to kind of present mm -hmm. um you know one of us rich and my team has the has the bell and things it when we're <laughs> for a minute but it's really good because actually what we're just trying to do is just get that discipline of making sure that things are busy everyone's spinning plates but if you don't sort of carve out time in your week to stop and look around and be inspired by other charities or other um companies then you know you pretty quickly going to you know, die off and you won't have the ideas. You've got to sort of, you know, feed, feed your imagination. And even if it isn't sort of like, well, I, I need to look for something because it's, we've got to come up with a new campaign. So I need to steal that over there. Mm. Even if it is just sort of 
switching your brain mode, you know, into a different, into a different gear so that you're looking at stuff. And, you know, we're all curious human beings, all of us, you know, whether you're in the communications team or, you know, not. And so actually to sort of feed that a little bit can be really good. And it's often in those moments where you're not even really thinking about the Christmas appeal you've got to do, you know, that you see something and it kind of, it, it triggers, it triggers an idea. So we definitely make that part of, the, part of what we do. Um, there, yeah, there are loads of sort of brands and, and charities. I mean, I know you work with Macmillan, I really like what Macmillan do. Um, you know, and on lots of different levels, you know, you look at like other organizations, you think, well, like visual branding wise, they're really tight and they've kind of got a great control in a good way over all the different sort of touch points you see. Um, but I really, I, I'm really interested at the minute, or lately I've been really interested in the sort of B Corp companies. And I know we've got um, uh, a mutual friend, uh, Bird Sunglasses. And what I, what I like about it is because it is flipping what I said at the beginning, where it's, it's not like charities that are doing good. It's people that are delivering a product or a service, but they're, they're doing it in such a way that it, that it makes a difference. Yeah. You know, they, uh, you know, Lawrence and his brothers want to make a living, right? They want to be able to pay the mortgage and, and pay for food and so on, but they want to do it in such a way that leaves the planet in a better way. And, you know, is sustainable um, and aligns with people's values about kind of, um, you know, correct ways to like labor laws, you know, making sure that there's, you know, anti-trafficking and so on. And you think all these little things that actually, they absolutely are part of the product process of that. And so I, what I really like is how that's part of their story, but in an authentic way. And so like brands like Finisterre based down in Cornwall, you know, um, like Bird Sunglasses, like I've said, um, they just they have those values and those cultural attributes that obviously mean an awful lot to them. And it and it comes through authentically and simply through their brand, through their communications, through their website, you know, every every sort of touch point. So I, I really, I really like that. And then the content marketing that sits behind that I find really inspiring too, because actually I feel like I'm connecting to that brand. Um because we have we have shared values. And I think mm. it's interesting because charities have that absolute gem you know we've got we've got these great causes because we're doing stuff because we're motivated as individuals to do something over here and actually what we're, all we're trying to do when you strip back all the complication is all we're trying to do is attract other people who have those same passions and interests or even ignite those passions and interests in others and say do you want to you know do you want to come and join in and so actually we've kind of got this rare not even that rare but we've got this great gem in the middle of it all which is purpose you know simon sinek talks about the why finding the why in your organization and charities have kind of got that or very nearly got that um by the bucket load um and often sort of like companies and you know people that are pushing products or services are, are trying to find a way of you know what is that why and what is that expression and how can we make that valuable for other people and i feel like charities you know we're really lucky that we've kind of got that and um it's more about sometimes it's about getting out of the way you know it's about stripping back all the complicated stuff and showing, showing that kind of purpose in the middle of it all, um, I feel like sometimes we can overcomplicate it. It's funny. I mean, talking about the purpose and the why, particularly in charities as well, it is a natural thing. It's why the charity exists in the first place. It's often from a fund or a, you know, just a personal experience that somebody has gone through and said, I need to do something about this. So that why yeah. is fundamentally intrinsically involved in the core of that organisation, uh, which is a great place to start, but they wouldn't necessarily always know what that is as a as a brand asset or anything like that how to word it how to frame it um but in the charity sector particularly you'll get you get 
organizations or charities with the same purpose or a very similar one? Mm -hmm. And how does brand help you differentiate outside of, of between one charity that's got one purpose, another that's got one very similar without, because you don't want to be competing or do you, do you compete as charities? Yeah. Um, that's a really, it's a really good question. The, I mean, yes, you know, on the, on the basic level, charities compete because, you know, there is, there is a finite amount of resource, I suppose, or sometimes in, in particular areas, but it's not quite the same. I mean, certainly we've, you know, there are other charities in our sector who, if we, if they're sort of combating poverty and they eradicate extreme poverty in a particular country they're working in, perhaps even one that we're working in, we're not going to sit there and curse and say, oh man, I can't believe they, they, they did that. You know, we're going to celebrate that because ultimately we we want the same things and so it's it's competition but not really you know in the same way um at the place i used to work we always used to talk about doing ourselves out of a job because we were about eradicating a particular issue um and that was always that was always really interesting we started you know it, interesting we were talking about it about nine eight nine years ago and then more recently we've seen that come through in a lot of like cancer research communications about kind of an end game and about mm. reaching an end game and actually every time every yeah. donation or every kind of fundraising act that someone does we're kind of moving that step closer and so we started to, you know i've started to see that kind of come through in more organizations um communications but i think that's um yeah that's that's at the heart of it but in terms of differentiation i think um it can be really difficult because you you've got to sort of sometimes and it's not like static you never kind of like establish right okay this is our mission and it's absolutely, you know, you've got to be focused and make sure you're not just deviating every now and again. But sometimes it just takes a bit of refining and being clear what's our slice of this problem mm -hmm. um, and what is it specifically that we're good at. And sometimes that is a brand and communications matter. Other times it's not. It's one for the chief executive and the board, you know, and it's sort of about, you know, positioning the business or the organisation in the right place to say, actually are we going to let go of that particular program because there's another organization that are doing that better and better and our resources might be better focused here um but in terms of how it relates to brand and communications it's yeah the, the, the challenge is looking at what it is you know the perception of our perception of our organization in the minds of our supporters and would-be supporters how do they see us is that is that positive is that what we want them to think or is that potentially too close to other other people? And is there a way that we can be really clear about what sets us apart, what you know, what slice of the problem we want them to help us to, to tackle? And then everything can flow from that in terms of your messaging and your visuals and, uh, and, and you know, whether that's your choice of photography and so on. But yeah, I mean it's, it'd be naive to say there's there's sort of not a competitive element to it because um yeah, you've got people have limited attention spans and you know there are limited resources, so that they're sometimes is a sort of a bit of a struggle to do that but that's that's okay you know that kind of stops people getting complacent and churning out mediocre comms or mediocre work and um keeps keeps everyone on their toes <laughs> certainly keeps us busy we've talked before about uh, kind of on you mentioned photography just now and how photography is a really key part of, of a brand in a lot of places but particularly when you're talking about um a situation that's happening for happening far away from home and particularly for compassion dealing with uh, poverty and how uh, often there's that the 
dilemma of do we show hard hitting imagery, video content that is really there to stir the emotions and drive giving. I know that compassion, just from looking at your website, makes it really clear that dignity is an important part of, of, your, of your brand and of, of things that the values that sit right through the organization and you make a stand and say, we're not showing the flies in the eye sort of imagery that is there to do that. Is that something that you find that is a challenge to, to deal with? Does that differentiate you somehow? Yeah, we're really, well, um, we're, we're very mindful of, um, of that, that side of things. I mean, it's, I'm trying to work out where to start with it. it in the sort of international development sector it's been a it's been an ongoing kind of debate for for years really in terms of um image choice and uh yeah how to portray people that we serve um and the reason it is probably ongoing is because there is there is data to show that kind of guilt inducing negative you know showing the need type images um can trigger action yeah um but it's whether it's the sort of action you want and is it sustainable that's the sort of the question so it there's there's always a tension um, my old chief exec mark who was brilliant in many ways always used to he used to put it really well in terms of, he said we've got like a moral mandate to bear witness to the problem you can't um, you can't sort of sugarcoat it or gloss over it or kind of like make it palat palatable. But at the same time, you absolutely do not want to exploit the individuals that are, this is their lived reality. Mm. Um, and it is, it is a tension because living in poverty is not a bad it's, it's, it's horrible. And some of the stories from our graduates, you know, it's not just even the sort of, um, physical surroundings or lack of food it's often um richmond who's one of our um graduates and is now a trustee of compassion talks about it as a complete lack of hope and like he would hear almost like a poverty whispering to him that he meant nothing that there was no future there was no point and he said actually you know being released from poverty was more than just having the roof repaired or being fed it was about having that hope breathed in again and that is, um, that's not, <laughs> there's so many comp complex angles to take on it because it brings in like the white savior angle of, oh, like, well, then, the, you know, the, the, the wealthy Westerners are kind of like the hope bringers and that's not it. And we absolutely do not, you know, we're very sort of against that uh, compassion. But the, the truth is you've got to speak about the reality of poverty so that people can, can understand or start to understand that it's an issue that needs tackling. But at the same time, by, if you were to go the flies in the eyes route and all that sort of side of things, it completely, you know, it can dehumanise the person you're talking about. And actually, this is a person you think, well, if I'm if I'm showing a photo of a child, would I want my child to be portrayed that way, or actually, would I want them to be portrayed as a superhero because they're kind of they're railing against, they're, they're so resilient to the things that we can, you know, that I living in um, Hampshire in on the south coast of the UK, you know, I can't get my head around what it's like to sort of not know where my next meal is coming from or, you know, the fact that if my mum is ill and can't work on a particular day, that probably means we're not eating for two days. You know, I can't relate to that. 
Um, and so that child, you know, the resilience that they display, the fact that they kind of have a much more mature outlook because they have to be like more responsible. Uh, you know, we, we want to not just, it's not just about showing the transformation that, you know, a Western sponsor can have. Um, it's more about showing that this is a human being. This child is like full of potential. And actually there's a part that a sponsor in the West, but also like a, the local church in that particular community, you know, the compassion team there, a team that kind of come around, the parents of that child themselves or the community that are around them, everyone play, can play a little part to kind of realize the potential of that child. And so an image showing them in abject poverty, you know, looking afraid and so on, might induce guilt and might induce someone to sort of throw some money at the problem to make that guilt go away. But it doesn't do much in terms of communicating the dignity and the humanity of that child. And it doesn't really um, allow us to begin a relationship with someone who might think, actually, I, I want to do something about that. And I want to, I don't just want to pay money at the problem, you know, to make it go away. I want to begin that sort of, sort of slow, steady walk alongside this particular individual or an individual like them to help them or to do my bit to help them over a number of years. And actually that's part of it for us is that because, because a big part of what we do is about child sponsorship and that's often over a period of, you know, seven, eight, nine plus years, we don't want to get people to take an immediate knee-jerk reaction. We want them to take their time and make a considered choice to say, actually, this is something I want to do. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the kind of, the image choice, which is just one small bit of it, is, is, is a key part of that, really. Um, yeah, sorry, slightly waffly answer, but there's... No, no, I, that's I, good. I could bang on about that one for ages. It's such, a, it's such an emotive issue. And it's an operational decision that you have to make and deal with day by day. And it's, it's also a strategic decision that you've got to have a, a stance on. So, yeah, it yeah. definitely fits into this comfortably. Um, are, there, are there instances where you can say... I could see direct impact of uh, great design, great brand, um, maybe visual side of things uh, has, has created a discernible or identifiable impact on, on the work you're trying to do, like any stories or examples along those lines. Either it could be within compassion, could be previous jobs. Or yeah. So, uh, uh, I mean, there, there are probably lots. I mean, when it leapt out, as you were saying that, in terms of design in particular, was even just a website redevelopment. I say just, it was a big old beast um, <laughs> in a previous role. And the reason I sort of uh, uh, gravitate to that as an example is, um, I mean, it ended up, <laughs> it ended up winning a design effectiveness award. So that's probably why it came into my head because I was thinking, great, well, there's a little rubber stamp. It's not about yeah. like winning the awards or any of that, but actually it was the, it was the, the kind of um, the information around it, where we were kind of uh, the agency that we'd worked with on that were quite keen to put it forward for a design effectiveness award. And it was all the work that went into sort of looking at, you know, how, how well did it meet the brief? You know, what was the uptick in kind of traffic, but also in terms of inquiries and all the things we'd set. And you could, you could see, you know, it, it was absolutely open and shut. It was, it was just a massive case for why it was worth the investment. And at the time it was a significant investment for what was a you know, small to medium sized charity to make you know, um, on the website. I think the previous website had been cobbled together in a couple of hours and it cost a few hundred quid. And this was you know, a much bigger investment of time and money and it, it was a difficult project. But the, 
the impact of the, the, the design, you know, the graphic design, as well as all the information architecture and the kind of wireframing processes that we went through that were kind of painful at the time, but actually it hung together and it worked because we were so, you know, we stuck to the brief so well and we were very clear about what it was going to do and particularly also what it wasn't going to do. Um, moving away from that whole thing of each team saying, well, my section on the website, you know, it, 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 it was just a website, but it, it forced a lot of really healthy and important conversations. And the upshot was that, you know, there's a huge increase in terms of traffic, but also inquiries. Um, and, you know, as, as an organization that was looking for relationships with philanthropists over and above sort of, um, you know, one-off small cash gifts or whatever, um, it, it generated some, lots of inquiries that way. So that was a really, that was a really good one in terms of um, one, one that I've worked on. Um, but it is, it's the age-old debate, isn't it, about return on investment, you know, things, you know, people, I think as long as people see brand or design as something pretty, you know, oh, let's make this look pretty, let's make it eye-catching, um, let's make sure the logo doesn't get stretched or, you know, let's, let's make sure that the logo looks modern or whatever. If it's just seen as that, it's never really going to be a great return on investment. But if people are sort of seeing it as a really important expression of who we are and what we do, um, and it's got to be simple and consistent and authentic, then it's, it's like a critical investment. You know, you've got to, uh, it's a bit like what I was saying earlier on, if you're not prepared, you know, if, you've, if you're doing great work, and yet you're not prepared to invest in telling people about the fact that you are doing great work and they've got a fantastic opportunity to get involved with that, um, which great design does, then it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's like a huge missed opportunity, really. Um, yeah. Um, just to finish with uh, a quick one that I like to ask, which is if you were asked for your advice by a smaller charity or a startup, um, where should they place their attention when it comes to their brand or their marketing and that sort of thing? What, what advice could you give them? Is there something that you would recommend from your experience that they should focus on first? Um, I'm going to keep banging on this drum, even if it's boring, um, which is, uh, we, uh, my, um, in one of my previous roles, we were really lucky um, to go and spend some time with um, Richard Reed from Innocent. And, you know, many people point to Innocent when they talk about like tone of voice and, um, you know, design and uh, just a great brand. And, and you know, it was, it was fantastic. But he, he said something really interesting when we were talking to him. He said, um, lead on values. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a mm -hmm. brainer. Um, and like the brand values as being the, uh, you know, the values of the organization as being the absolute underpinning of everything you do. And I know I've said that many times on this, but I think that's probably the place I would say you've got to start. Um, and if you're in a small to medium sized charity, the good news is actually you've got an advantage because it's, it's um, potentially uh, less challenging to do that because you haven't got to kind of communicate with all the offices around the rest of the world and try and sort of get ahead of steam there. You potentially have got, you could be a bit more nimble with that. And if you can start to help focus what they are, you know, get those expressed clearly and start to sort of see them, you know, get that, build that understanding that everything you do either builds the brand or erodes the brand, then I think that's probably a really good place to start. I think um, in that same meeting, he quoted, um, is it Dan, Dan Walker? I think it was head of talent at, at Apple who had said, um, have zero tolerance for those that don't live the values. 
because actually, you know, the people around are kind of um, uh, really important and powerful out outworkings of that brand. And then I think someone said to him, you know, what if I end up with a gap after sacking someone? And, and his response was, I'd rather I'd rather have a hole than an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> That's I thought that was really good. Um, and the reason that stuck with me is because it just it underpinned to me, you know, they say that, what is it that Bezos quote about brand is, um, brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And that is because uh, your, the design of your posters and all those sorts of things are a key aspect of it. But so is like the phone conversation. So is everything else, you know, so is uh, the emails that people receive. So is the sort of, you know, um, uh, the, the thank you letters that they might or might not get. And so if you can lead with the values and start to shape what they are and then almost like track out from there, well, if, if our values are about dignity and excellence and if they are about kind of um, collaboration, what does that mean from a brand perspective, either visually or in our messaging, and then start to build out from that center? That feels like that's got to be the place to start. Otherwise, you're kind of working in the wrong direction. If you're getting everything looking fantastic, but it doesn't align with who you really are at the middle, then yeah. um, it's going to fall flat. Yeah, there's a um, there's a sense to say your principles have to matter to every stakeholder somehow, and 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 what impact do those principles or values have on those stakeholders at whatever touch points, and and then yeah, yeah suddenly you've got a whole bucket load of ideas that can come from that because 100%, it's yeah. all authentic. Yeah, and it, and um, the other thing is, I mean, lots of organisations might have you know quite similar. You know, excellence tends to be a really you know, um, a very popular kind of value. Um, and so get specific, you know, if, you, if you've got ones in your organization, if you don't have them, then there's a great opportunity there. But if you have organizational values that um, that are perhaps a bit more generic, a bit more like everyone else, start to get granular. What is that, you know, what is that, mm, what do we do? Mean? You know, what does that mean for us? You know, if, if we have excellence as a value, what does that mean for this, this and this? And actually start to sort of build that out and put flesh on the bones of it. And then I think actually it's almost, it, it comes from that, you know, you've got that single organizing idea of who you are, what you do and how you want to do it. And then everything else can kind of flow a bit more naturally from that. You haven't got to have yeah. huge budgets to, to be able to make a difference, you know, and have like a, a brilliant brand. Um, but but you, if you haven't got a huge budget, you've got even less opportunities, you know, to make that scene. And so you've got to make them count and make sure that each one of them shores up the other and is yeah. sort of tracks back to quite an authentic center. It's authenticity, isn't it? That's that's what we're coming down to. Um, yeah, I, that's, I that's basically it. all I'm saying. So just <laughs> that one word, you know, cut everything else out. And just <laughs> yeah. I um, I have a bit of a problem sometimes with corporate values because I think if you're a solicitor and one of your corporate values is professional, then. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, but you see it so often, and and what does that mean? What like you wear suits? I mean, what? What yeah. does that value mean? How is it? And it's fine to have that as a value, but you've got to know why it relates to your own brand, not yeah. just to just to fit into your industry. And absolutely, um, and values are so much, firstly, so much more important than that, but also so much more fun than that. You can have yeah. a lot of fun coming, you know, digging into those values to find out what really is the the difference, because you'll have values that are very similar to another Christian charity. Oh, massively, like integrity, right? You know, you're yeah. saying, well, that should be an absolute given for a charity, and it, and it should, um, but it's what that means. And that's what I mean yeah. about getting granular is then, well, how does that impact your recruitment? How does that impact, you know, um, your messaging? How does that impact um, what you do in terms of your team and how you work with them? 
and it doesn't have to be a huge exercise but you can start to you know to build that out and uh, then it becomes like you say it's fun and it's real and actually it does make a difference to your daily life because you think well actually how you know if um if if our focus this week is on the value or the cultural attribute of being collaborative what does that mean you know if i'm sort of tempted to say well i'll go this bit alone or i'll do this bit actually no i'm gonna you know i'll, I'll change my behavior in a particular moment because of that value if, it, if they don't genuinely guide what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis then they're probably not worth having and if you there can be good barometers for decisiveness in an organization when you've yes. got an opportunity to do something you can look at it and say well we can evaluate that against our values if we do this how does that sit against this value this value this value maybe if it contradicts one you can say okay is that how important is that when it actually aligns with some others and it really helps you to know um how to make strategic decisions and operational ones to, yeah. to guide you going forward if you really know and understand it and and use yeah. those as, as yardsticks it's it's so much more like you said than a poster on the wall i mean i say yeah. that we've got posters on the wall with our principles. yeah but uh, so wait uh, uh, but <laughs> but obviously if they're if they're irrelevant if people are like oh, what are they again and you know sure. oh that's the only time they see them when they're going down that corridor towards the toilet What's the point? You know, they're there, they're there as reminders, as little aid memoirs yeah. that might just sort of trigger it. But the thing is, I think there's often a paralysis, isn't there, when it comes to looking at those sort of things. Well, uh, you know, I'm working in the brand team or I'm working in the comms team. I can't mm. influence that. But I, I think you I think you can do more than you realise. You haven't got to do it all, but you can, you know, it might be that starting in that place. Um, there's a guy who was a patron of our old charity. He's like an adventurer. And his thing was always like, think big, start small, but do start. And that's, I, I have that as a bit of a mantra because I, I, I always get that sort of like, oh, there's so much to do. And I end up sort of not doing anything because of analysis it. paralysis, analysis paralysis. And so actually it's almost like, well, what, what bit of it can I affect? You know, and if you can't sort of change all the HR stuff, you start to think, well, actually, fine. If we've got organizational values, well, then I'll start to build that out what it looks like in my team. Um, and, you know, free yourself from the sort of thing and think, well, I've got to tackle it all. But but if you know that that's, you know, you want to try and get consistency and authenticity about those, well, let's at least yeah. sort of get those right in our communication. And hopefully that'll be a good inspiration for others or you can start to sort of um, influence others in, in the organisation to do it that way too. But I do think, yeah, it's, um, it's important that, 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 that that's, that authenticity is there. Otherwise, it's just a bit of a, a fool's errand. Definitely. Brilliant. Thanks, Steve. Um, really appreciate taking your time this morning and I'll let you get on with your day. But um, thank you so much for your insight. And I will look forward to seeing what the response is when we put this out there. Yeah. We'll <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Thanks, you. mate. Thanks, Have mate. a good rest of the day. Bye. Cheers. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed it, you can like it and subscribe on your favorite streaming service. And we'd love to hear from you if you have any feedback or any questions. You can look me up, Owen Jones, on LinkedIn. Or to check out what Upshot's been up to or find out when the next episode's coming, do look up Upshots on Instagram at Design by Upshot, or one word. For now, that's it though. Keep your eyes peeled for the next conversation coming soon. Thanks again.